0: So we've been going through a uh, sermon series this Lent on the covenant and faithfulness of God. We've been looking at God's covenants with his people uh, in the Old Testament and, and what that reveals of God's character and, and his revealed relationship with his, his people. And this week we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And before we get there, though, I just want to flag for you, we've been in this Lenten series, but in the season of Easter, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and what it looks like to uh, live in the power of the resurrection and how, how that works out concretely in our relationships or communities and daily lives. And then as we get into the season of Pentecost, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the book of Ephesians, where God gives us this expansive cosmic vision of his good news and then he gives us this really beautiful picture of the church as his new humanity and what it looks like to live in light of his good news. So I just want to let you know that's, that's kind of where we're going. We're heading that direction. But today we, we come to hear the word of the Lord in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Now, I don't know about you, but it had been a while since I'd read Second Chronicles chapter 36 until I came to this this week. And one of the things that's helpful to understand about this passage is that in the Hebrew Old Testament, in the order that the books of the Bible occur in the Hebrew Old Testament, the verses we're reading here are the final verses of the Old Testament. Now, the order of the books of the Bible that we get in our English Bibles uh, comes from uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. But in the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 36 is the end the climax of God's story with his people. And it's incredibly, it's incredibly anticlimactic. <laughs> his people end up in exile. The wrath of God responding to the hardness of his people's hearts and their unwillingness to hear him. And so this great symphonic story that we've been listening to ends in a very anticlimactic way. In order to feel this, it's worth, worth us recapping what we have seen so far in the last few weeks of our Lenten journey. We began with God's covenant to Noah, how God had purged the earth of its wickedness and evil through the waters of the flood, and then he hung his war bow in the clouds, committing to never again deal with human sin in this way. Then he commissions Noah and his family to go forth and multiply, reestablishing the earth in light of God's goodness and his grace. And then you fast forward from there, and we heard the word of the Lord to Abraham and Sarah. They were older in life, well seasoned, and they've come face to face with the the harsh reality that life does not often give you what you want. You have this vision of what life is going to be as you enter into the later stages of life, and they're discovering that it's not what they expected. They had no children, they had no family future, they had unfulfilled dreams and disappointing dashed hopes and God comes to them in that place and says you think there's no hope left for you and you think time is against you I'm telling you that I'm going to do what's impossible in this situation I'm going to make you a father and a mother even in your old age of many nations and it's it's through your family that the whole world is going to be blessed God is going to continue his story through you. And then we stood with Moses and Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Israel just having been delivered from oppression in Egypt and brought through the barrenness of the desert. And now they're trembling at the sound of God's voice, like like the roar of, of mighty rushing waters, as God reveals to his people what he wants them, how he wants them to live in their newfound freedom. Love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart, mind, soul, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And although we didn't have a chance to look at it, you know the story continues on. Eventually, God makes covenant promises to his king David that one day a son would be born unto him and the government would be on his shoulders, and he would sit on the throne of David and reign over the entire earth forever and ever and so we get this sense, as we go through the story of the Old Testament, that God is moving his purposes and forward in history through this particular people that he's chosen. And although there are many twists and turns, his, his grace is sovereign and it will not be defeated. He will accomplish the purpose for which he has set out. And that's why it's so anticlimactic to come to 2 Chronicles 36. <laughs> Because if you're the people of God, in light of all these promises and all this grace and all the mighty works he's shown, you you go, whoa, what's happened to all the promises of God? Things were so great. We had so much hope for the future. And now we find ourselves sitting in the isolation and abandonment of exile with a people who are hard-hearted and stiff-necked and profoundly untransformed and unfaithful. The text describes this starting in verse 13. It says that the king of Israel had hardened his heart against turning to the Lord. And verse 14 that all the officers of the priests and all the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following the abominations of the nations. And so the picture that we're given is of every level of society being infected with with instinctive hardness of heart, from the king to the officers to all the people, a whole society and culture and system has been created over time that is resistant to the compassion of God and is blind to his prophetic words. And we're told in verses 15 and 16 that the Lord, the God of their fathers, notice how that language evokes that whole Old Testament story we just rehearsed. The God of their fathers sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But, says the chronicler, but, they kept mocking the messengers that God sent, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the compassion of God ran out and the wrath of God rose against his people and there was no remedy anymore. In other words, we come to the end of God's mighty works in the Old Testament only to discover that the people of God simply don't want to hear it anymore. (laughs) They, They don't want to hear what God has to say. And the intention of our passage is to drive home upon our hearts and minds the sorrow, the real heartbrokenness that we should feel over this reality. Because the New Testament tells us that the history of Israel was recorded not just to tell us some fun facts about history, but in part to hold up a mirror to our own hearts, to the people of God in every successive generation, lest we forget the past and think ourselves beyond the sins and failures of our ancestors. Today, if you hear his voice, says Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts, as when your fathers put me to the test, though they had seen my works. And so we're confronted in our passage with this very real possibility, with this, with this sobering possibility, that the people of God can see God's works. They can acknowledge his promises. They can hear his prophetic words, and yet harden their hearts to all those things. And so I've been asking two questions as I've been reflecting on this sobering reality this last week. And the first question is, how how do we avoid this? Like, how, how do we cultivate soft hearts in our own lives, both to God and to one another? so that's the first question and the second thing i've been reflecting on is like what is the hope and the promise of god to his people when they have gotten to this place <laughs> when they have become so hard that that judgment comes that exile comes that isolation comes like what is what is the word of hope and promise for when people find themselves in that place so first i want to begin with this how do we cultivate Soft hearts, how do we cultivate soft hearts? I think it's worth sitting at that question for a while. I wonder if something that you could do maybe later this afternoon or this evening is, is just maybe take out a piece of paper and sit in, in silence for 15 minutes and, and just see what emotions arise in your heart or what thoughts come to your heart naturally as you sit in silence For 15 minutes doing nothing else and just jot those down on a piece of paper and and see what's what's naturally happening in your heart how do we cultivate soft hearts the first thing is we need to stay close to jesus in his gospel of grace (laughs) do anything we can to stay close to jesus and his gospel of grace now, historically, the church has said this happens as we stay close to scripture, as we stay close to sacrament, and as we stay close to the body of Christ. Stay close to Jesus and his gospel of grace. Now, how does this connect to the fact that um, hardened hearts resist God's word? It goes something like this, I think. I think that unless we, we stay close to Jesus and his gospel of grace, our identity and our secure, the security of our identity is going to be rooted in other things. And then when God's prophetic word comes to us and presses on any one of those other things because he wants to bring about repentance and healing and amendment of life in those things, then we're going to find ourselves instinctively feeling threatened and resisting the fact that Jesus is pressing on one of those things because it is core to our identity. So if our identity is in moral superiority over others or in our work ethic, and how we pulled ourselves up in society because we have been worked so hard. Or uh, if our identity is in a particular cultural or national or ethnic identity or heritage, and it's not rooted in Christ, him saying, you are my beloved, you belong to me, Uh, I dwell in you, as Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives in me. That's how bound up my identity is with Christ then when the prophetic word comes to us and challenges us in one of those areas, says, you know what, your, your marriage and your family needs to have some of my grace transform it. Your understanding of your country and your understanding of your cultural heritage, my grace needs to come into that and, and bring some truth-telling and, and bring some transformation your understanding of your work and and how that is related to your identity and the way you operate and cope in the world i want to bring some grace into that and unless we are really close to jesus and we see our primary identity is being rooted and secure in him then when these things are pressed on we will automatically resist his grace in our lives and so the first thing i want to say to us is just we've in this period we've got to stay close to jesus and his grace in our lives, and continue remembering who he has made us to be in him. In Christ, Paul says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places, there is no reason for us to be insecure in him. So stay close to Jesus. The second thing is we need to acknowledge not only our defiance of grace, we do defy grace. but also our distraction from grace. So our defiance of grace, one of the key things in reading scripture, and scripture here is is the primary prophetic word in our lives. One of the biggest things in reading scripture is not just that it's hard for us to deal with exegetical conundrums, although that's true sometimes. It's that deep down in our hearts, we resist grace. We defy grace. Grace. And so there are things that scripture says to us that we just don't want to hear. But even more than that in our day and age, more than just defying grace when we hear it, I think we are actually distracted from it. We don't even get to the point of hearing it. And one of the reasons for this is just the, the rapid development of kind of Internet technology that has grown in our culture so quickly. Um, we're living this kind of virtual technological revolution, and it's it's developed more rapidly than we, our ability to reflect upon it and its implications for us. And so, I think one of the things that happens is we have our phones and our computers and our TVs and our news feeds and all these things constantly bombarding us. And in all the noise, it's hard to hear God's voice. It's hard to hear His prophetic grace because. We're just distracted. I was struck by this as I was rereading Richard Foster's classic work this last week, uh, The Celebration of Discipline, a path to spiritual growth. If you haven't revisited that in, in recent years, feel free to go for it. But it was the 40th year anniversary edition. And, and Richard Foster was kind of saying, like, after 40 years, culture has changed a lot. I mean, those of you who've been around for that long, you know how much cultural change has happened at a, at a mind boggling pace over the last 40 years. And he says, do the disciplines that I brought up in that book, do, are they still relevant to today in our current age? And, and he, the answer simply for him was like, yeah, totally, they are. But he said, I think there's one thing that has changed in our culture that it makes it hard for all these disciplines, and it's the reality of technological distraction." And so at the very beginning of his preface to this 40-year anniversary, he says, so let me just start before you even get to any of these other spiritual disciplines forming your life in Christ and give you a helpful discipline for just dealing with distraction. (laughs) And and so I commend it to you. He he says uh, three days in a row, do this, turn off all technology, your phone, your computer, everything for half an hour, 30 minutes each day, three days in a row. On the first day, Read a couple of verses from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See my thoughts. See there if there be any wicked way in me and and lead me in the, the way everlasting. He says, just read those verses and then literally sit in silence and stillness for 30 minutes. Just letting God search your heart and your mind. The next day, turn off your technology for 30 minutes. And then he says, this time, go for a walk, movement. And he says, to the pace of your steps, say the Jesus prayer. Just whispering it under your breath for 30 straight minutes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And for 30 minutes, just sit in that, no technology. And then the third day, turn off all technology again, 30 minutes. And then he says, slowly pray the Lord's prayer, phrase by phrase, using each phrase as, a, as an opportunity to springboard and, and pray to the Lord. And he says, repeat this another three days. So you got six days in the week. And then on the seventh day, Sabbath, he says, just go for it. Use technology all you want. <laughs> And and, um, and he says, what this is going to do in you is this is going to cult- seek to cultivate over time. And he says, do this for weeks, do this for months. And then at the end of three months, he said, go away on a 24-hour retreat by yourself and bring nothing, no technology, just nothing but a Bible and a notepad to write on. And if you commit yourself to this over time, he said, you will have cultivated an ability to refocus on God's Words to you. And then when you go on that retreat, you'll be amazed with how your heart is starting to soften again to the grace of the Lord and what He wants to speak into your life. So the first thing is stay close to Jesus and His gospel of grace. And the second thing is acknowledge not only our defiance of sin, but our distraction from sin and actively just seek practical ways to put yourself in the Lord's presence. So that he can begin to soften your heart and focus you on him again. And then the third thing I want to say is that we need to be open to voices. And I'm talking about here like spirit anointed and spirit guided voices from within the body of Christ. Now they can come from outside the body of Christ as well, but right now I'm just limiting myself there. Within the body of Christ, who are speaking prophetically in our day and age. Now I want to be careful here because there's lots of people that are claiming to speak prophetic words. <laughs> like this person's going to become president or this event is going to happen on this date in the future and all these sorts of things and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are speaking prophetically in line with the Old Testament prophets, their message to God's people. And the message of the Old Testament prophets was simply saying there is a gap between the covenant calling that God has placed upon his people's life and the way that they are actually living their lives. And prophets named that gap, and they said, realignment is what God is calling you to. Prophets named the gap, and then they said, realignment is God's loving and gracious and compassionate, the word compassionate shows up in our passage, will for your life. And now, this can take lots of forms in the prophets. So, you see the prophets like naming the cultural national idols of the day. You, you see the prophets um, unveiling the hypocrisy of the worship of God's people. If they're saying thing with the, one thing with their mouths and doing another thing in their lives during the week, now the prophets name that. Um, The prophets also um, will often name how unjustly God's people are treating the poor and the oppressed and the immigrant and the marginalized and the weak in their society. And how they've fallen into this default habit of human nature that you look out for your own interests instead of the interest of others. And so it takes lots of forms in the prophets. But one of the things that we as the people of God, if we really want to have soft hearts and we really want to be obedient to God's will and we really want to be sensitive to the movement of his spirit, is that we have to be willing to hear voices that are going to unsettle us a little bit. And we have to resist that thing in us that we instinctively um, reject anything that is different from what we already know and what we already want to believe. We have to be willing to pause for a moment in humility and ask the Lord, is is there anointing of the Holy Spirit in this? Does this align with God's prophetic revelation in the Holy Scriptures? Is there something about myself or the community I'm part of or my life that God graciously in his compassion wants to do transformative work in? And so we have this stay close to Jesus and his grace because if our identity is not firmly rooted in him, We're not going to be willing to hear those words. And then we need to acknowledge the ways in which we're distracted from his grace and and invite the Lord to refocus us in him. And then we need to be open to the prophetic speaking of the Holy Spirit through people, through Holy Scripture in this time and revealing ways in which he would like us to grow. I think those are some of the practical ways in which God invites us to cultivate a softness of heart so that we don't repeat the sins of our ancestors and harden our hearts to the Lord. But the reality is, is that our hearts do grow hard. <laughs> and there are there are times when, when it, we just see it and, and it hits us. And it's a revelation of God. We're like, oh my gosh, my heart is so hard in this relationship. Or it's so hard towards this person. Or it's so hard in this area. Like, what do I do? Uh, what's God's promise and hope for me in this? And two quick things I want to say to that is, the first promise and hope of God is that he will take the curse and the consequences for that hardness in your place. So we're told in our passage that the curse for sin, the consequences of sin are exile alienation from God and other people. And Paul in Genesis chapter three says, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by the law. And he says, Jesus took the curse for us so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us and that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says. So the first good news is that if you are in a place of hardness of heart, Jesus says, I am going to take the consequences for that on your behalf. I'm going to take the curse of exile on the cross so that you can receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, giving you a new soft heart that's alive to me. And the second thing is, the second word of hope in our passage is that God is committed to the activity of rebuilding. You, you see this at the very end of the passage. He says, I'm, I'm going I'm to rebuild my temple, which in, in the New Testament becomes an, an image for the people of God themselves. Not just a physical building, but for the people of God themselves. And, and after a season of COVID and after all the things we've, we've been through as a church, this is a welcome word. God is a God of rebuilding. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of renovation. Renovation of the heart, says Dallas Willard. But not just of the heart, renovation of the people of God, the whole community in the world. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between nations and ethnicities and different people groups, and he has made them one new person in Christ, and he is making them into a holy temple, building them as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that God is building his church living stone by living stone into a spiritual household that declares the praises and excellencies of them, of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so you get this sense throughout the scriptures that God is a God of free building. And so that's the word of hope for those that find themselves in a place of hardness is that Jesus is going to take that exile for them and he's going to bless them with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus is committed to this work of rebuilding. I heard a pastor, somebody told me of a pastor uh, this last week who said, is doing a sermon series called A Time to Dream Again. And I thought that was appropriate. He was telling his church, there's been a lot of disruption, there's been a lot of loss, there's been a lot of heartache, but it's the time to dream again how is God building? How is God planting? How is God healing? How is God encouraging? How is God blessing? How is God renewing now and in the days ahead? My brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.